Hello, everyone. Happy Halloween. We have a special episode to talk about The Bride of Frankenstein with Thomas Harper. Thomas, how are you? I've mysteriously manifested my presence on this podcast. It's been a while. I'm, I'm glad to be back. It's, you know, you, you have a daughter and all of a sudden work-life balance changes with, with a brand new baby. <laughs> it's like sleep sleep balance <laughs> the, the desperate thing that i try to chase <laughs> yeah since we do talk and keep in touch it's like ooh, that sounds rough or all the different baby adventures that you guys have been having and uh, the first halloween are you taking her out to see family or what's what's the halloween plan with evie we're staying parked in the house i felt like the monster in frankenstein lately we were talking about the this before we started recording that with the lack of sleep um, stumbling over to the crib at night, I make the same moans and groans as I go to pick her up and try to get her calm back down and put her to sleep. But we're going to stay around the house. We decorated it all up outside. Inevitably we'll get like three trick or treaters (laughs) the entire night. But we, somebody pointed out to me, I was never big into Pokemon growing up but somebody pointed out that there is a Pokemon called Eevee, like a little Fox. And so we hunted around and we found an Eevee costume for her, like a little knit cap with Fox ears and a little Fox tail and put her in a little Brown onesie. And she's at the age now where she just accepts whatever you put her in. So (laughs) you just put the hat on her and she's like, okay, this is what I'm wearing now. And then Marissa and I are going to go as Pokemon trainers. So it should be fun. And that's hysterical. And it, it breaks the, you know, what people expect of, of some Star Wars theme, whether it should be an Ewok or Yoda or something uh, along those lines. So There will be, I, I look at it as this is the first Halloween of a lot, and we will have plenty of Star Wars costumes in the future. Yeah. But I like to, costume-wise, I, there's so many good group or family costumes that, that you know, I don't want to be ferreted in. Uh, we can always cosplay Star Wars anytime at Celebration or uh, Comic-Con, wherever. So we've got plenty of costuming opportunities, that's for sure. That we do, and we still have our uniforms from San Diego. So that's true. <laughs> that's a nice default if we have to go to a costume party on short notice. It's like, well, I got this. So. <laughs> I'll put put her in the same brown onesie and she can be a miniature resistance officer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or do the hair and buns like conics and uh, be ready to go. Put her on trial for mutiny as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Staying up late and partying all night, keeping her parents uh, sleep deprived. Yes. What about you? Big Halloween plans? No. So last year we had zero trick-or-treaters. So oh. live in a boring part of town where no one goes out. So, and, and due to my mild view on, uh, from my mother being a paramedic that Halloween can be amateur night, I, I tend to be pretty conservative in Halloween plans. Now it would yeah. be, it'd be nice if, you know, if there were friends who hosted something, mm-hmm. but not a lot of folks do. And, you know, yeah. You know, they just, we just don't. And, uh, you know, it being on a Wednesday is, you know, kind of a 
buzzkill on on that fact as well. But uh, that's true. Then zero trick or treaters means one hundred percent of the candy goes to you. That's... And it, it would be you know I don't want to be like Admiral Kimmel not getting ready for Pearl Harbor. Like we will have candy <laughs> on hand. You know, like it's just yeah. wrong not to. You yeah. know, I, I just, I'm not going to leave the fleet undefended. No, we'll yeah. be ready in case any any kids come by. But last year there were none. Yeah. And uh, but I'll definitely watch the Stand Against Evil premiere. Have Very you nice. uh, have you watched that at all? No, I have not. Um, uh, the the first two seasons are on Hulu, and they they released uh, the third episode early on oh, on demand, and it's a beautiful tribute to kaiju films. Really, uh, and I was laughing in hysterics with all the different homages they did to King Kong and Mothra yeah. and uh, War of the Gargantuas. I mean, they parody the song. Uh, it's No kidding. Uh, it was just like beautiful love letter to the entire genre. That's great. And they clearly had fun making it. So uh, well, I'm looking forward to the premiere. We have not even carved pumpkins yet, so we're going to have to put on something to get into the Halloween spirit tomorrow so i i'm gonna add that to the playlist nice nice yeah it's check it out uh my brother went to college with the female lead no kidding and the guy who's the you know created it and you know writes it uh, dana mm-hmm. gould i remember him from when my parents uh owned a comic rooster Teeth feathers wow and dana was always one of my favorite comedians so i'm very happy That's to see neat. that see him doing well and Oh, yeah, I have the same warped sense of humor, so it, <laughs> I can attest to that. It, it just fits. <laughs> it, it just fits. Well, well, let's talk about uh, the 1935 classic, which was the first direct sequel uh, to, I think, possibly ever uh, to you know that that Hollywood did of mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein. So the the first one comes out in 1931, and I think it's pretty clear that they didn't plan to do a sequel, um, just because there's some continuity breaks, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Well, it's it's like where did his dad go? So where did yeah. Baron Frankenstein go? Who was like such a key player in the original, nowhere to be seen. Don't worry about that little guy. <laughs> and this movie literally begins, like hours after the original so it's it's yeah. like one timeline and there's just all these weird twists of like we saw how the first one ended like they they changed the ending of the first one with the beginning of this one and that's that's mm-hmm. just a little weird and so the nerd in me always gets a little enraged with that of like dude you clearly <laughs> hadn't thought this through Good thing Twitter didn't exist in 1935. Ah, it just <laughs> like some like the Neil deGrasse Tyson type, like, hey, what's going on here? Like that kind of <laughs> nerd rage explosion of, yeah. you know, it's like, where does dad go? And uh, yeah, and I, I think you know there there's some other things that that change, but there's a lot that's still the same, uh, including his guilt and him being. Um, you know, being upset about what he had done and the people whose creature, you know, killed, um, you know, upset him. And Karloff uh, just does such a phenomenal job. I don't know that there 
there will ever be an actor in all the iterations of that character in the future that will ever capture that sort of emotion like he did. The the torment he goes through, the law. I mean, we could we could break down scene by scene of like the just the physicality of the role, and either conveying fear, uh, like remorse. Uh, you know, when the sheep herder falls off a little cliff in mm-hmm. the water, and and you can see him like waving around, like off, like no, no. It's like he he can't speak yet, but you know, just like the look of don't do it <laughs> like, yeah. on his face. And then to get shot at and the look of like confusion, anger, rage from what happens to him to, to finding the friar and just the look of gratitude, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from someone treating him decently. I mean, Karloff was the man. Yeah. A, a, a amazing actor. And, you know, it's easy for people to to just assume these universal monster movies are just classics and like never think about them, or or you know, there are folks who haven't watched them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're beautiful. I mean, they they are so well done and well acted. Yeah, and I challenge you if if you haven't seen this movie, you don't even need to watch more than two minutes of it to get sucked in and want to go watch the rest of it. It really is. Uh, you can't pigeonhole it into its genre as a, you know, Halloween or a monster movie or anything like that. I think it transcends all those categories. Um, uh, you know, I encourage you go, if you haven't seen it in a while, I was one as we were prepping for this podcast. I saw it as a kid and I just have distinct memories of it. Um, watching as a, uh, a kid at home with my dad but as I'm watching clips, all I wanted to do was, Josh, brush you off and just go watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, seriously, though, no. it's an exceptional film. Uh, now, what? I mean, let's let's break down some of the legal issues. And so we get introduced to Doctor Pretorius, who, you know, turns the mad scientist ante up to to eleven. <laughs> you know, and, and the original Dr. Frankenstein has his off the deep end moments where he's you know talking about bringing the corpse to life and he clearly sounds off his rocker. Well, he, he eventually gets back on his rocker after having a nervous breakdown and recovering and, and everything. But Pretorius is evil for the sake of evil and just one twisted dude. And <laughs> Zero ethics. That's, that's about as simply as you can put him. Just yeah, those the, two words. The Nuremberg Code exists for him, you know, <laughs> like to to stop playing God. And you know, he doesn't talk about how he did it, but he grew little people and kept them in jars. <laughs> uh, okay, like. He created life. Like, he went beyond what Frankenstein did on many mm-hmm. levels in creating his little people, which raise all kinds of, you know, like, they look like people, they act like people, mm-hmm. and they're kept in charge. Like, how do they eat? 
like where do they go to the bathroom like <laughs> they're literally kept in little jars does the fda know about this <laughs> yeah it's it's that's all bad it, it's just super twisted and he's just you know that's what he did he grew people which you think that would be enough to like raise the ante of like how did you literally create life from mm-hmm from nothing because that that truly is playing god Uh, he's got a very twisted god complex in him and i think the you touch back on some of the legal issues i think that's why yeah at least part of the reason why we have a lot of the regulations and some of the laws that we do particularly in in the healthcare arena um i i think the unfortunate reality is that there are folks out there among us today that to, to steal a quote from Jurassic Park, they don't a- they don't ever bother to to ask whether they should. They're just consumed with whether they can do something. Yeah, this isn't like curing cancer. This is, you know, making the world of gods and monsters, and that's his intent, and that's super terrifying. Because where does that end, and where does that go? Phenomenally dangerous. Especially when I made a miniature mermaid, and here's the little dancer I enjoy watching. It's like, well, that's creepy. I uh, just ew, and and I made a little Satan. So there's that. Uh, it's like and they talk with high pitched, squeaky voices. Yeah. When you think about the special effects of the era, they're pretty well done. I mean, like that's completely yeah. before green screens and everything. Oh yeah, I was blown away. I as a like again as a kid watching this, your your perception is all skewed and whatnot. But I was just completely enthralled by it all. It's yeah, very well done, exceptionally well done. Uh, which then raises the issue of uh, is that false imprisonment for those yeah humanoids that he made or Pretorius has a lot of kidnapping slash false imprisonment problems throughout this film (laughs) yeah if the ends justify the means then i'm good with it uh (laughs) so he's he's the ultimate mad scientist and which gets us to you know like him hanging out in those catacombs Mm -hmm. for literally the worst picnic imaginable (laughs) okay so there's the casket that has the the young woman's corpse in it and then he decorates somebody else's skull and bones on top of it and has a glass of wine and a cigar. <laughs> that's, that's wrong. <laughs> that is just so wrong. Uh, and it, I mean, like, it's desecration of a corpse. Yeah, it's, it's that you see on screen the reason these laws exist. Um, I, it, these laws are sort of different state to state. I think there's a general thread of commonality that runs through them all that don't do stuff. <laughs> Just let corpses lie, I think would be the general rule across America. I know in Pennsylvania, uh, it's it's a criminal offense to treat a corpse in any way that you know would outrage ordinary family uh, sensibilities. And they treat it as a uh, second degree misdemeanor which seems a little uh, given the scope that that can 
include like the, the number of things that you could do to, to trip this law. It seems a, a little light, but I think this, his actions in <laughs> having a little picnic with the, the corpses and, and whatnot would very, very clearly outrage the family sensibilities of whoever uh, was related to the corpse there. Yeah, there's the, the state issues that get into California calls it mishandling of a corpse. Uh, other states call it desecration. Uh, then there's body stealing. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that things can go south on why we don't want people uh, messing with bodies. And <laughs> he, he really hits all of them. I know the, the 19th century view of body stealing, there was body stealing. Then there's the issue of um, taking a corpse for the intent of dissection or experimentation prior mm-hmm. to, you know, that being legal and in having methodologies for, or excuse me, procedures for people to like will their bodies to be used by, you know, medical students as cadavers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in California, anyone who knowingly mutilates or dissenters uh, wantonly disturbs or willfully removes any human remains without legal authority is a misdemeanor. However, uh, anyone who removes any body part or of human remains uh, with the intent to sell or dissect them or with uh, malice or wantonness uh, has committed a felony. So intent's big on, you know, if it's, is it just teenagers playing a sick prank versus, you know, moving up the ante? And uh, and then there's this weird anomaly with, with California law that says anyone who willfully mutilates, removes, or has sexual contact with human remains without lawful authority is guilty of a felony. You can't have legal authority to have sexual contact with human remains. So that that's just a weird, weirdly drafted regulation. That's that's one of those laws that it's unfortunate that it has to even exist. And you know that it exists because it's happened. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of like you see these warning labels on everything and you're like, why would they be warning me not to stick my hand into the lawnmower blade while it's spinning? And then you think somebody's done that before. It's, (laughs) it's somebody's epitaph. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and in this case that's that's pretty accurate <laughs> it's literally somebody's epitaph and that's his wrong uh, yeah. you, you did bring up a good point there is a distinction in the law because there are legal ways to get bodies and this uh-huh. is not going to be a, a class in <laughs> how to get your own dead body but if you think about it there are you brought up medical experimentation Uh think about medical schools right medical schools across the country need bodies going back decades and decades even into the the past uh, couple centuries um, one of the big ways that medical students have learned about anatomy and everything it is that they need to know a lot of it comes from cadavers and so the law at least in pennsylvania they they followed a model that that started to spread across the states and they actually had an anatomy act that was passed. And so this gave, once it came into effect, it gave sort of a lawful 
pathway uh, to, to get bodies like this. And there was a wave of these laws that kind of spread from, uh, from east to west. I think the first one might have been in Massachusetts or New York, somewhere up in the northeast. But, it, you know, effectively it gave a quota across the state of Pennsylvania of unclaimed dead bodies to medical schools. And then that, that helped regulate this whole thing. And this was done, uh, the Pennsylvania Act was passed in 1883, but these acts go back even to the prior century. And it's just a fascinating kind of macabre thing to think about that this is something that lawmakers had to consider and, and really put some boundaries on because, um, yeah, I, I shudder to think what was happening otherwise. Black market, body stealing, and selling bodies for dissection, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, medicine is a noble, you know, profession, and the idea that people couldn't, you know, perform autopsies or or learn how you know anatomy works and thus had to go through illicit means to get it is just weird and you know it'd be interesting to ch- uh look at the legislative history to see what debates took place in the 19th century about this yeah on on how it went down just picture pretorius there saying like i hope she has strong bones <laughs> like, oh that's just sick sick man and now i'm just going to hang out and smoke here with my twisted picnic <laughs> <laughs> Make that into a hashtag, hashtag twisted picnic. <laughs> like, Ew, you're a bad man. And that would be enough if if that was all he did. I mean, that would be a, a creepy level of eleven. If you just have a picnic, if you just if you <laughs> decorate a somebody else's skeleton and then have a picnic, drink some wine in catacombs, and that's creepy enough. But unfortunately, he doesn't stop there. Of course not. He's going to go big. And <laughs> how big can I do this? And, and well, we see it's, we're going to make a bride for <laughs> the reanimated being that, that Dr. Frankenstein made, which raises, you know, he completely manipulates the creature. Oh, absolutely. And the creature is, it's interesting to look at his culpability in this uh, because like he is beyond persecuted. The, the, you know, from people tried burning him alive, which would upset anybody to, to a get bit. it just a bit. Uh, you know, he's then hunted, uh, like falsely accused of injuring a woman that he saved hunted again, strung up like an animal and almost like a crucifixion type pose, mm-hmm. chained up, escapes. The only dude who's nice to him is a blind guy who treats him with decency, uh, teaches him to speak, teaches him compassion. And then it's taken away from him when a couple hunters stumble in and go, no, that's the monster. And a you know fight ensues and you know the the friar's house gets burned down at least the friar survives like he isn't killed but it's like that's messed up i'm like there's 
you know, and so it's after all of that that the creature runs into Pretorius, who manipulates him and go like, no, I will make you a friend. I will make you a mate. And, you know, and, and that's where the creature you know, does sound creepy with woman. And it's like, Ugh. you know, it's like, dude, don't talk like that. <laughs> when, I think, you know, we're going to segue into some of the, the crimes that Pretorius and the monster get into, namely kidnapping. But you raise an interesting point that, there's a criminal intent element of a lot of these things, kidnapping in particular. You guys have actually done a mock trial about a competency hearing for mm-hmm. Frankenstein. And so I think it's a, there's a, a big open question of whether he, he is mentally competent to actually be held responsible criminally for these, for some of the stuff he takes part in, in this movie. Yeah. And that was so well, argued by the law students who participated in that back at San Diego Comic Fest. And and Judge Carol Nahar presided over it. And she she did a great job avoiding one of the little traps I built in. And, you know, finding that the creature was, uh, should be judged by the cha- uh, standard of being a, ch- a child, mm-hmm. but would be tried as an adult. And he was ultimately found to not be competent uh, for his actions because of, you know, you're basically dealing with a toddler type mindset yeah. who only knows like fire hot and people are mean. Like that's, yeah. that's the extent of his life experiences. So there's, I mean, there's a good issue with Pretorius manipulating him into, you know, kidnapping Elizabeth and, then you get to Dr. Frankenstein and, and you know, the, the therapy that would have to be involved for the creature after being brought to life, <laughs> held in a dungeon in the dark for several days. Like that's not how human development works. Like your, your daughter, you, you didn't bring her home and then just leave her in a dark room for a couple of days like that. That's abuse. Yeah. No one does that to a brand new person. And that's what happened to the creature. So his first interaction with Dr. Frankenstein, when he could speak, he's rightfully upset (laughs) and understandably so upset and, and willing to, uh, you know, kidnap in order to get somebody like him. When I, I just love the interaction. Frankenstein is, sitting in there when Pretorius confronts him and he's just like, nothing you can do will make me change my mind. <laughs> and Pretorius is like, oh yeah? <laughs> Watch this. It's like, <laughs> clap on. <laughs> and look who appears. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Now, Dr. Frankenstein did know how to rock an ascot. I mean, there's something to be said about those silk smoking jackets and ascots that he had. So This is true. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I would make the argument as a defense counsel that he can't possibly be put into uh, a prison outfit because it would just it would be a crime against fashion itself to make him not wear his fantastic wonderful wardrobe (laughs) this is that looks super awesome well done sir well done (laughs) few people can pull that off non-sarcastically and you can so that's 
Like him and Lando Calrissian. <laughs> yeah, it's like Lando has his capes. Dr. Frankenstein has the ascots, and nobody else can wear those. Yeah. And not be mocked. It's like, nope, that's his thing. He looks good. Let it be. Yeah. Uh, but I, going back to the intent piece, mm-hmm. uh, he, he get the creature gets co-opted into uh, kidnapping Frankenstein's wife. And I, I don't think it's clear at all that he understands right and wrong of what he's doing. I think he's, I think he understands on a basic level that he needs to do this thing in order to get a friend. Uh I think that's probably the simplest way that you can put it, but not that he is doing harm to another. And the only flip side I would say is, you know, I think it toward the end, at the end of the film, he seems to, to have a moment of recognition where he spares them and, you know, on some level realizes they're worth saving. I agree with that. I think you have to look at the totality of the creature's life experiences, which had been cruelty, torture, persecution, burned alive. And when, if you think in those terms of just the, the hatred that he endured him turning into, well, he, he doesn't physically harm Elizabeth. He holds her against her war at will and, whatever tower they're in mm-hmm. like that's just different i mean it's still not right but it, it's a different standard uh, of culpability uh on his part because i do think he's acting as a child trying to get what he wants as opposed to Pretorius, who's just you know evil and wants to do harm and wants to play god I, it's it's a different standard yeah, and interestingly, the, this the taking and spiriting away and then holding of Elizabeth illustrates some interesting nuances if you're not all that familiar with kidnapping and false imprisonment. I think a lot of times in common language, they, they just get all lumped together, the subtleties uh-huh. that are there and the differences get lost. And really, I, I think, at least in pop culture, you'd be hard pressed. It, kidnapping is just you used ubiquitously to describe all manner of things. Um, but in reality, you see a good example of all of these things. So kidnapping, that crime is completed uh, as soon as the person is forcibly taken. So the moment Elizabeth is taken away from her home, it doesn't matter whether she was held for a second or an hour or 10 years, the, the kidnapping. I think you, you've got the California law, up, but that, that's going to be the same in just about every state that you go to. Whereas false imprisonment, I, I, often they go hand in hand, but there you've, you can have false imprisonment without theoretically committing the crime of kidnapping uh-huh. where you're just unlawful, unlawfully violating the personal liberty of somebody. So I could, Josh, I could come over there and in your own home lock you into your your house there and not let you leave. I haven't necessarily kidnapped you, but I have, and all for all intents and purposes, falsely imprisoned you. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, but here, absolutely. I think you you see that she gets kidnapped and then ultimately she is falsely imprisoned. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's again great example for a law school exam 
or a bar exam question of, you know, knowing the different levels. And It'd be a good what, midterm. If you do your midterms in October, Halloween time, what better example to use a good fact pattern? That would be a really fun professor uh, for, for, <laughs> for crim law. Uh, to to get into those issues to with that level of we're going to use pop culture and you all should be able to understand the facts. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I take it to the next level. The fact pattern is not written down. You just need to watch the cl- the, the clip gets played momentarily in class. <laughs> this is my dream. If I'm ever hired as an adjunct professor somewhere, I'll just all my exams will be DVD based in part. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of YouTube clips of all right, Miss <laughs> Swanson. What do you Quiet. think of X? <laughs> Quiet, everyone. I'm only going to play this once. <laughs> oh, that would be you'd, you'd be a popular professor. That I would say that of uh, yeah. No, there's getting into another nuance of California law that's that's in the same code sections or, or at least near them is the human trafficking element. Hmm. That and this is where it gets weird because if the corpse was alive, that ultimately turns into of the bride. That's that would be human trafficking mm-hmm. because of why that person would be taken in order to be held in servitude, uh, which is you know the in, you know the intent of forced labor services, and that's exactly what's happening here. But it's a corpse, so it's not alive. And the brain is a brain that Pretorius grew, and we don't learn his black science on how that works, but he grew the brain. So the collaboration was Frankenstein knows how to reanimate a dead body or put together, and Pretorius offered the brain that he grew with his natural method of growing a human brain. It's... (laughs) On one level, it looks like the elements from human trafficking, and on another level, it doesn't because the corpse isn't alive. But after it becomes alive, does that mean it's human trafficking at that point? Yeah, do you have it? All of a sudden, do you have um, life there? And there's that interesting scene. I don't know that there's one that I can remember with, with the brain itself, but when they're messing around with the heart mm-hmm. and they're, they're trying to experiment and, and get it to function properly and what's the line there's a line where he's talking about the, the difference between just basically shocking the heart and making it kind of go through the motions and actual light like the beating of life uh-huh. and ultimately they fail and they have to go back to the drawing board but i i look at it the same way like it, at what point do you cross the line and I, very clear I, that one of the most famous scenes in the movie if and again if you haven't seen the movie the bride really doesn't show up, show up until the very, very end, but it's such a phenomenal scene. She very clearly is not buying what they're selling and is not happy with the situation that she's been put into screams and just recoils. It's just a very emotional scene. And I think the reason that human trafficking laws exist in large part, that uh, desire to, to keep people from this, this forced servitude, you see it play out there. Like she, she wants no part of this. Absolutely. And we actually see her at the beginning of the film and at the end, because it's the same actress. That's right. Yeah. Plays Mary Shelley at the beginning. 
plays the bride at the end, which is clever that she bookends uh, the movie. But she rejects him, the creature, either favors Dr. Frankenstein or is looking to him as a parental figure. Like we, you know, it's tough to tell which, but she clearly is looking to him, to the doctor for safety. And she's not happy yeah. with, with, you know, being brought to life and being like, hey, here's your groom. And she's like, what? What? Uh-uh. Uh, you know, <laughs> I do not agree with this situation. Uh, but, you know, for such short screen time to be such an iconic character, whether it's the T-shirts, the mugs, you know, yeah. you know the, the, the cosplayers are able to pull off that hair. You know, like yeah. it's, uh, I mean, that's a commitment right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a testament to character design. Marissa <laughs> and I were talking earlier tonight and she, oh, sometime in elementary school, she went as the bride of Frankenstein. Ooh. And we were, we were just talking. She was like, you know, I, I don't remember ever being obsessed with the movie or anything like that. And we were having a discussion of why as a kid do you pick certain things to dress up as? And I was like, well, it's just, it's just such an iconic design. As as iconic as Frankenstein himself or the monster himself um, in terms of how easily it's recognized. Because you'll run into folks that will absolutely know that character and have never even seen the movie. Yeah. Now, how old was she when, when she went as uh, Frank and uh, bride, the bride. I say, I say nine or 10. So th- third grade, maybe fourth grade, something like that. And I will say, I will make this promise that if I can find a picture of Marissa as the bride of Frankenstein and her parents did a very good job of taking a lot of pictures as they were kids, mm-hmm. I will find it and we'll get it rolled into the post that uh when when you post up this this audio or we'll supplement it later on yeah that would uh <laughs> the, the fact your wife did that at i don't know what age is yeah uh, give her a medal yeah she said they had to use like newspaper to help get the hair effect correct <laughs> wow uh let's just let's ask google because i'm blanking on the uh who did the makeup and the original um jack pierce jack pierce yeah and so uh, and again legend in doing monster makeup and inspired rick baker and generations of special effects uh Mm -hmm. people uh you know professionals to you know to to bring these characters to life uh that (laughs) would love to know how they did that with Marissa, because that's just, <laughs> that's just awesome. So that, I'm going to go on a hunt. It may take me a, a little bit of time. I may not have it by Halloween, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to send her mom a text. She'll know better than anybody. Yeah. yeah that There's, there's your, <laughs> the gauntlets down for Evie when she comes of age too. That's right. <laughs> Mommy did this. Uh <laughs> That's awesome. I, <laughs> uh, but could she really articulate what inspired her? Was it just? I I really think it was the the iconic design of the character. Okay. I mean, it, it, 
you know, I think about when the, some of the stuff that I dressed up as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dressed up as God, like a very poor rendition of Godzilla. <laughs> and I, I think it was a, like a, a child's dinosaur costume, okay. but to me it was Godzilla. And I, I think back to those things, I think more than anything, it's just, especially at that age, stuff that captures your imagination uh, it, it, in terms of how it looks and whatnot. Um, uh, I did a vampire hunter when I was like eight or nine. Did you really? <laughs> and so, which was, I, and I, I want to find, you know, the, the picture of it because I was really proud of it that I wore one of my mom was a paramedic. So I wore one of her like blue work vests. Oh, nice. And I had on like the, you know, goggles, for blood splatter and you couldn't do this in this day and age, but I did have two wooden stakes <laughs> because it's like, I, you know, I, it's like for those who like want to be the monster, it's like, you know, I, I want to be the hero. I, I don't want to be the monster. I, I want to slay the monster. And uh, which is why I, I think one of the first Halloweens, uh, I don't remember selecting it cause I was so young but I was a fireman, one of the early ones. Nice. And uh, so there's a picture of me, like with the the hat, the overcoat, and clearly a little fireman at age, but three or four. <laughs> and, and then uh, kindergarten, remember being a knight and yeah. making you know a, the broadsword out of cardboard and uh, out of paper and helmet out of paper mache, and uh, you know it's like hey. You want to be the hero. Yeah. Well, I th- I, it, it's a testament to the the film itself and, and certainly the enduring nature mm-hmm. of the, her design that a, a character or creature with, what, three minutes of screen time can, I, to this day, I, I think if you flashed her picture, just, just the head, the mm-hmm. character's head to most folks, they would know exactly who it is. Yeah, and I don't think she ever appeared in anything else. Uh, not officially. I mean, there's yeah. you know, the co- costumes and, you know, and, and other secondary materials. Um, no, there's uh, I, I, something I want to get. They have what are called the geeky tiki's and, mm-hmm. you know, that you can get like Star Wars ones. That's, you know, a big tiki mug of Darth Vader or. Like, oh, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. Well, they have them for the Universal Monsters. And so there's, right. you know, Frankenstein one. There's a bride one. Uh, creature from Black Lagoon, all all of them. It was just like, yes, I will take. It'd be a fun cup. to bust out this time of year. Yeah, it's like that would be fun, and and then you know figure out you know whatever rum and coconut drink you want to to go with it. But uh, <laughs> that's quality time well spent, my friend. Of yeah. uh, of of you know enjoying the season. So, but yeah, there's a. Are, are you? I took a mythology class in high school and you know, the story of Pygmalion has always stayed with me of like what not to do in mm-hmm. life. Uh, are, are you familiar with it? Yeah, I did not take a, I made the mistake of taking Latin for four years. <laughs> and so naturally um, with that, you get a lot of mythology just baked in between that and in English class. Um, but yeah, no, I, the, falling in love with a your statue, your, your, falling in love with one of your statues, I should say. 
Yeah. The so the for those who didn't take mythology or Latin, you know the the myth focuses on uh, a sculptor who sculpts his ideal woman and is constantly making it better and praised Aphrodite and eventually the statue is brought to life. That's not how love works. Like you can't literally make someone love you. And like that, that's, that's not a normal healthy relationship of holding someone up on now carving them out of stone on a pedestal and praying they come to life. Uh, I'm like, that's just, that's not life. And and like that myth has the happy ending of the sculptor and <laughs> his statue live happily ever after. Well, you know, the Bride of Frankenstein is the more realistic telling of that, of, I know, the, the presumptive spouse going, oh, hell no. This is not what I want. This is not my life. And I was not literally made for you. So Yeah. When there's... I, I don't know if it's the, I guess it's the very last lines of the movie that put a, a fine point on that. The monster says, go, you live. And then he turns to Pretorius and he said, you stay. We belong dead. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, and the bride is, is included in that. And I, I think that's a, a recognition of his, not that I can't have what I, like she rejected me and I can't have what I want. Therefore, we all have to die, but this isn't how this all works. I don't know a lot, but I know that, you know, in my simple brain that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And by the way, you're a bad, bad man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause she, she really gets the short end of the stick brought to life says, Hey, I don't like this. And then gets murdered. Yeah. Like, immediately like murdered. <laughs> I get killing Pretorius like that. I completely get like, dude, you're a monster. You're the bad guy here. I'm ending you that I get. I get the redemptive arc, partially redemptive arc of him going like, whoa, it was wrong for me to take Elizabeth. I helped create the situation. You go live, go live. I like that makes sense. The bride really gets screwed in this I mean, there, there's yeah. no way around this of that's phenomenally unfair she deserved to have a life after being created and with her you know whatever hopes dreams aspirations that she had or just know, a say in <laughs> any of that yeah. yeah i mean she she you know she hisses and that is an iconic hiss that she does that mm-hmm again, carved into movie magic that's known, you know, 85 years later, I'm like, that's, that is pretty exceptional um, to, to have. But, you know, just as the monster deserved life, you know, because, you know, he wasn't a monster. People made him one. They treated yeah. him as one, uh, which is, again, part of that My Fair Lady a scenario of if you treat somebody the way you want them to be, that's what they become. I'm like, I, now like that's fair. And they, they wanted him to be the monster and you know, he ultimately turns into one because of how they treated him. Yeah. Uh, but the bride didn't deserve what she got. I mean, she, <laughs> after being from beginning, 
pre-reanimation to death or re-death. <laughs> just I mean, like so, so wrong, so so wrong, disturbing on so many levels of what happened to her, of uh, just fundamentally unfair, and I mean that's not a tragedy; it's just cruel uh, yeah. because tragedy would imply that she did something, and she didn't. She was just made. And, you know, and said, this, this is not what I want in my life. And Buried in the wrong catacomb. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, and with, with the brain grown by, you know, the twisted doctor, that's, that's just wrong. Yeah. So, but it's, uh, highly recommend this, you know, and, you know, I have a soft spot for, you know, the Frankenstein movies because it, it shows how people should be treated. Um, yeah. You know, it, it shows my uh, civil liberties, you know, flag pretty clearly of uh, everyone deserves due process and he clearly had none. Yeah. Um, and if you're, if, if you're looking to watch it, it's, it's out there. You can, you can stream it. I don't know that you can stream it for free, but you could certainly rent it digitally. And it's not a very big investment of time. I think the total runtime is 70 minutes. I mean, that's less than a Disney movie these days um and it really really is phenomenal cannot recommend it enough uh, absolutely and uh, i think it, i watched it on stars and okay. i and i picked up the blu-ray because uh, they they had them at best buy so i got that and uh dracula and last year that's when i got frankenstein creature from black lagoon and wolfman and right. but yeah this was again possibly the first Hollywood sequel. Um, definitely the, the first universal monster sequel. And Which is incredible when you think about it because film had not been around for that long at that point. Yet of all the movies that had come before it, it, it took this one and in, in this particular genre for the, this concept and this trail to be blazed, which is really cool. Yeah, when you look at the Universal Monsters being the first connected universe that has sequels and recurring yeah. characters, and the Frankenstein story goes multiple multiple generations. Yeah. Because uh, by the time of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, they're on the granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And the son of Frankenstein being with the son, uh, taking place you know, like 20, 30 years later probably 30 years later. Uh, so he could grow up and be a doctor himself. But yeah, there's a, some of the continuity does get a little shady and fuzzy and not defined, but, uh, but it was the, it, for, for, to be the, the original MCU, the monster cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I have a, I have a kid now I can get away with those like dad type jokes, but no, I think it's, I, I don't know that there was anything else like it at the time. And it, it was certainly, I, I just blows my mind that uh, folks would, con- for, for a medium of storytelling that was still brand new relatively to conceptualize that sort of thing that would span far beyond some of these filmmakers careers or that, you know, whatever, you know, influence that they had um, to, to be able to, create something like this that still lives today, I think is just a, a testament to the genius behind it. Oh, a- absolutely. Cause it's, <laughs> we wouldn't have 
the movies we have today without the successes of of the past. No. And uh, and that's that's pretty astounding. So, you know what? Um, King Kong would have been the, I think, first sequel. Because Kong, okay. King Kong and then Son of Kong is 1933. So... Just slightly beat it then. Just slightly beat it. So the concept of it existed, uh, but I don't know how many there were. Yeah. And, it, and it's the first of the monster movies to have a sequel. So Top, top two or top five is still very, very laudable. Yeah. It, the early days of... Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that happened in the 1930s and uh, movie-wise. Um, legally, we know that, but mm-hmm. movie-wise, um, you know, we're lawyers, we're not film historians, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people who are taking, you know, uh, you know, th- those at UCLA or USC would be happy to jump in and yeah. fill us in on, on their academic knowledge. But uh, this is, it's a wonderful film, and I, I highly recommend all the universal monster movies because they are a good Halloween treat and uh, rich in symbolism. So, so with that, Thomas, thank you. Oh yeah. My pleasure. I will, uh, within 24 hours of now be in a full (laughs) sugar coma. (laughs) The coma will be deeper. The fewer trick or treaters we get, because as we discussed at the beginning, that means the more candy I will eat. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And I only buy candy that I would, I am okay with being stuck with when we get no trick or treaters. Cause we got zero last year and I was a little dejected cause I had gotten into a, a star Wars costume and I was very excited for the whole thing. We got nobody the entire night. Um, but it was okay. Cause it was uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and Twix and all the good stuff. Yes. Yeah, and some of them are on sale right now. So buy the candy you like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with everyone, have a very safe Halloween. Avoid torts and uh, any criminal liability. And uh, Don't go have, reanimating any corpses. No, don't dig up a body. Don't try bringing it to life. Don't make little people and then keep them in jars. I mean, there's, there's a whole list of no-nos. Yeah, and, um, you know, keep your picnic above ground. Yeah, it's... I mean, if you go to the cemetery for a picnic, that that's still in poor taste. <laughs> but uh, that's, just, that's just weird. Whatever Wednesday Adams thing you have going, that's just weird. Yeah, uh, no desecration, please. No, no. But with that, <laughs> stay geeky, stay geeky, America. <laughs>